Well, I don't know about you, but uh, this this season is obviously filled with so many different emotions, so many different highs and lows. But the one thing is for sure that no matter where you go during the Christmas season, uh, there are promises being propagated to you, right? Uh, There are all sorts of promises people are trying to make, maybe promise of getting something that you've always wanted. Maybe it's a promise uh, of good food or quality time with friends and family. Maybe it's the promise of those magical moments that bring us joy and fill us with wonder. And then reality sets in. I wanted to share with you the last 24 hours for my family because uh, you, you might find it comical. started yesterday afternoon as we are kind of frantically packing because we're going to my in-laws for Christmas Day and we don't want to pack on Christmas. So we got to prepare, get things done ahead of time, right? So so we're packing and we think, hey, we'll just leave Joseph in his crib because that's the, that's the easiest place to contain him, right? So I'm downstairs getting the girls some food. Cheryl's upstairs packing and all of a sudden you hear a thud. Oh no. She runs in. I run upstairs. What's going on? Joseph had fallen out of his crib. A plus for parenting for us. You know, you, you do the whole like check their eyes to see if they like knock their head, knock themselves out. And uh, so that's yesterday afternoon. Well, come about 930 that evening, we realized that our middle child, Samara, she, she didn't have shoes to go with her dress. None of her shoes fit her. And so, man, late night run to Kohl's to get a pair of Christmas shoes. So Cheryl leaves the house maybe 9.30 or so, gets back around 10.30 or so, brings all the bags inside, and she puts them down on the kitchen table, and we're sitting opening up, and she's like, where are the shoes? Like, I don't know. I didn't go with you. Where are the shoes? She's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. She goes and checks the car. They're not there. Apparently, the, the person at Kohl's forgot to give her the bag that had the shoes in them, and she brought the bags of stuff that she wasn't going to the store to get in, and uh Awesome. Awesome. Well, we wind the clock maybe about five hours. We're at home. We're, we're just about ready to get out the door to come prepare and, and get things ready for this evening. And I hear a big crash downstairs. Cheryl was holding Joseph. They were in the bathroom and she went into the, the little cupboard to, to get something. I'm not sure what, but the entire shelf collapsed. And there's those little bottles of essential oils. You guys know what I'm talking about? And one of them just shatters all over the floor. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> you see, that, that, that's reality sometimes. And, and maybe you didn't have the same past 24 hours in these type of events that happen. But I can bet that you were joyfully driving through holiday traffic around Sentara this Christmas season. You probably stayed up late, potentially packing gifts. Some of you might stay up late tonight, wrapping those last-minute presents so that you can be sure to be extra tired and grumpy tomorrow morning to enjoy your kids unpacking their gifts. Why in the world do we do this to ourselves, right? I think every Christmas... In the midst of the chaos and trying to do and and, and suck as much life out of the season as we can, we stop and we ask ourselves, why are we doing this? What is this all about? And then we go on to promise ourselves that, okay, next year is going to be different. Next time it's not going to be so crazy. We're never doing this again. Well, as human beings, I think if we look at our track record over the course of history, it's, it's not pretty good when it comes to making and breaking promises. 
You see, every single person in this room knows what it's like to break a promise or have a promise broken to you. And broken promises are the quickest way to lose trust and to damage relationships. I think all of you know what I'm talking about. Kids, maybe you've promised your, your family or your parents at some point, I'll, I'll eat all my vegetables, I promise. And then you sneak them into the trash can. Any confessions? Come on. Oh, that was me. Sorry. What, 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 about, what about promises we make to ourselves? How many of you feel like at some point in your, in your life, you promise yourself something just out of principle or out of just a moral conviction that I would never do this or that, only to find yourself doing the exact thing you promised you would never do? How many people in this room have ever made a promise to God? God, I promise I'm going to follow you with, with all my heart. I'm going to love you above everything else in this world. Only to live a few more days and find out that we break that promise. I think every single person in this room knows the guilt and the shame that comes with breaking promises when you know you haven't kept your word. And I think every person in this room also knows the pain and hurt that's associated when others break their promises to you. Promises have destroyed us. Broken promises for centuries, for millennia. But the good news of Christmas and what we want to celebrate tonight is that we know and serve a God who never breaks His promises. God is faithful to every single promise that He has ever spoken and will be faithful to fulfill every single promise He has ever made in His Word. This is the good news of Christmas. That the greatest promise that God ever set forth was fulfilled in the sending of His Son. Now kids, I know most of you are out of school, a little Christmas break, but I'm going to have to give you a little quiz. If you are here last service, you can't cheat. But for those of you who weren't here, I have a question for you. And the question is simply this. Where did the Christmas story begin? Where did the Christmas story begin? In Bethlehem, good guess, no. Anyone else? With Mary, great guess. Jerusalem, no. Okay, I'll sweeten the deal. I'll give, I'll give you five bucks if you get it right. Joseph, great guess, no. All right, I guess I'm going to keep my five bucks. You already guessed. You can guess again. You can guess again. What do you got? Jesus. It does begin with Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer, man. You got that down. We'll, we'll negotiate. Maybe I'll give you three bucks after the service. It's, it's like the answer is always Jesus. The Christmas story didn't start in Bethlehem. The Christmas story didn't start in a stable. Didn't start in a manger. Didn't start in Jerusalem. The Christmas story started in a garden. Started at the beginning. When God created man and woman. You see, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible is one story. With one message centered on one person, Jesus Christ. And the entire Old Testament is the unfolding of God's story of redemption. And all the prophecies and predictions 
of what God would do in paving the way for the promised Savior who is Christ the Lord. It all started in a garden with our first parents where they were in paradise with God, in communion with Him, walking side by side with their Maker. But on one dark day, they were enticed by the evil one. They fell to their own desires, violating the one restriction that God gave them. And you know this, that God promised consequences. He said, this will happen if you violate what I have done. And the reason we have suffering, death and decay in our world is because we fell for the bait. We took it. We wanted to be God of our own lives. And the world has never been the same since. And yet on that same day of our disobedience, on the same day that we distrusted in God's commands, God spoke another promise. He spoke a promise that was filled with hope, filled with a promise of future victory. And in Genesis 3, God made this declaration that he would be victorious over evil. This is what he said. He's pronouncing curse upon the serpent. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That may be a little confusing, but what, what God is saying here is that one will come from the woman, an offspring, a descendant of mankind. And he will come and he will destroy and he will undo the work of evil in this world. On that dark day, a glimmer of light came through a promise from the mouth of God. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 12, and we meet a man named Abram. And God says to this man, Abram, hey, leave your people, leave your country, and come and follow me. And Abraham, by faith, follows God into the unknown. Because God made him a promise. He says, I will make you a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. And from your people, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The entire world is going to be blessed, Abraham, through one of your offspring. God upheld his promise to Abraham. His wife miraculously had a son in her old age. And the descendants of Abraham grew and grew and grew into what eventually became known as the nation of Israel. And at the pinnacle of Israel's history, a man named David sat upon the throne. King David. And God again re-emphasized his promise to send the offspring. In Psalm 89, this is what God says. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So here we learn a little more detail about the promised offspring. We learn that he's going to be from the line of David and that his throne will endure forever. And as you survey through the Old Testament, you see that there are promises made about who this Savior is going to be and the specific details around the way in which he's going to come into this world. I want to read a few of you, a few of them to you tonight. 
Isaiah 7.14 says that this offspring will be a son who is born of a virgin. That's a miracle in itself. Micah 5.2 says he'll be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 9.2 says that he'll come forth from the region of Galilee. Isaiah 11.1 says that he'll come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Isaiah 7.14 says he would be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Psalm 22 says that he will be Lord over all nations. Isaiah 9.6 says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 11.2 says the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Isaiah 11.4 says that he will judge with righteousness and execute justice. And Daniel 7.9 says that he will be called Ancient of Days. So here we have the promise of a Savior. All these details of where he would come from. But more importantly to me is the names in which the Old Testament ascribes to who this offspring would be. Did you hear those names? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Emmanuel. These are not names given to merely mortal man. These are names reserved for God and God alone. The coming offspring And the miracle and mystery of Christmas is that the God of all creation, the God who spoke us into existence, was going to become one of us. He was going to put on flesh to dwell amongst us, made in the likeness of sinful man, to redeem us from the curse of sin and death. And God's promise came to pass. And God's promises will always come to pass. You know, the night of Jesus' birth was a a dual delivery in a sense. One, it was God delivering on his promise. And two, it was Mary delivering a child. And if you noticed, we haven't sung the song Silent Night. There's a reason for that. The night Christ was born was not a silent night. I've been in the delivery room with all four of my children, and I can tell you it is not a silent experience. Is anyone else yes and amen to that? Okay? Okay. It's not silent. There's all sorts of noise from all sorts of different people. And here's the thing. As we get ready to read through Luke 2 and the account of Christ's birth, we're also going to see that angelic beings filled the sky. Singing praise and giving glory to God. So if you have a Bible, there's also should be some black ones in front of you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. It's going to be on page 857. We should also have it up on the overhead. Going to read the account of Christ's birth. But just as a side note, if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. There's no greater gift than we could give you than the word of God. And the story of all history and the the only story of hope and salvation. So if you don't have a Bible, please take one. It's our gift to you. But let's read through the account of Christ's birth, the promised offspring, in Luke 2, 1 through 20. It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was from the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I don't know what you think when you you hear the account of Christ's birth, but to me, that's pretty epic. Like, I I didn't have any multitudes of angels showing up when my kids were born. Think about that for a minute. For you and I, that would be a pretty awesome day, right? If you were just walking outside at night and and one angel appeared to you and said something, you'd be like, oh, this is sweet. This is amazing let alone a multitude of angels. But it wasn't the angels that were impressive to the shepherds. It was the message that the angels brought to them. They said, hey, the King of Kings is born. The Savior is born today. Go check it out. Go and see. The Savior has come into the world. You can imagine the shepherds on their way to, to finding this child. The things they were talking about, they must have been blown away. Are you? Are this really happening? This is crazy. And they find them just as the angels had said. And it says they go away. They go back to their job tending sheep. Glorifying and praising God. Because they knew the promise of God had come to pass. You know, the same is true for any human being today. When you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the only appropriate response to seeing God in all his glory for all of who he is, is to fall on our knees and to say, glory to God in the highest. There is no other name worthy of our praise. There is no other name worthy of our worship and our adoration than the name of Jesus Christ, who came as the Savior of the world. You see, the reason Jesus came was to show us that God could be trusted, that His promises were true, and that only through His Son 
Could we have a restored relationship with Him? You know, we talked earlier about how we've all made different promises, maybe to ourselves, to God, to other people, and we failed to keep those promises. And what that shows us is that we can't even trust ourselves. You've got, you got to be skeptical even of yourself. Because you don't always follow through. But here we see God. In His perfect time, in His perfect way, He comes. And He comes with a multitude of angels saying, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. The Savior has come. The only Savior that was promised long ago in the garden is here. But the Christmas story isn't just about a little cute baby being born in a manger and angels singing songs. Jesus would grow up to live the perfect life in full obedience to the will and ways of God. And then he would die a sacrificial death upon a Roman cross, one of the most brutal forms of death anyone could go through. And on the day of Jesus' death, I believe the ancient serpent thought that he had a victory. But as we learn that Jesus' death was merely a strike to the heel. You see, Jesus would go on and three days later he would conquer death and sin. He would rise from the grave and declare once and for all victory. Victory belongs to Jesus Christ. And his resurrection was the stomping on the head of the serpent. No longer does death have any more power. No longer does the curse of sin have to control your life. Jesus came to do away with it. And the hope of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, brought light and hope into a world that was filled with darkness and desperately looking for something for life. See, Jesus came the first time as a humble servant. He came the first time to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin so that you and I could have forgiveness. But when Jesus comes again, he is coming as the conquering king. He is coming, Revelation says, on a white horse with tattoos on his leg that say king of kings and lord of lords. That's how he's coming again. That's what God has promised is still to come. But until then, we still have hope. And we can still trust in God's offer of salvation before the end. I think some in this room here, me share this story about the fall in Genesis. That God put on flesh and became a baby. That God died in our place for our sin. Like, are you serious? Man, I don't believe that. That's a fairy tale. That's for people who need a crutch in life. Unbelievable. Even foolish. Here's what the Apostle Peter had to say. 
He said, you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Sound familiar? Anyone ever been scoffed at for their faith? Any of you ever been said, man, that's that's a bunch of baloney. I don't believe that. It's a fairy tale. See, the Bible is very honest about how humans are going to respond to what God has done. And many will doubt and many will mock the promises of God. But here's what Peter continues to say in 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you hear that? God's patience is because his timing is perfect and his love he desires to permeate the entire globe. The fact that he hasn't returned yet is evidence of his love and his patience with us who are a little slow of hearing, a little slow of believing. The passage says God does not wish that any should perish but that all would reach repentance. And repentance is simply turning away from yourself and your sin and turning to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Embracing the good news, the gospel of salvation by faith, trusting that Jesus' performance in your place is enough to pay the penalty of your sin and to restore your relationship with God. And in Hebrews 3... The author says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I ask you tonight, have you heard the voice of God? Do you hear God's words spoken and do you find yourself believing If so, my prayer to you is do not harden your heart. Soften your heart and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. There is no other Savior on the planet. There is no other hope you can cling to that has eternal ramifications. But the hope that is found in the Savior who came. God has made this promise in Romans 10:9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise, friends. If you believe in who Jesus Christ is declared to be in this book, God says you will be saved. And just like God delivered on his promise in sending his son, so God will deliver on his promise to save all of those who trust in him. If you're here tonight and you find yourself maybe for the first time 
sensing a compulsion of, man, I, I, I do confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, we, we learn from the scriptures that salvation comes by faith, but we also learn from Jesus that he says, and if your faith is in me, get baptized. Now, baptism, we don't believe saves you, but baptism, we believe, is a public expression of your faith. It's a way to stand up before the world and to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have believed the good news of the gospel. I embrace this promise from God, this good news. And next week we get to celebrate baptisms. We're going to have one service here at 10 a.m. next Sunday. You're all welcome back to that. But we're again going to continue to celebrate the waters of baptism as God continues to draw people to himself and will continue to draw people to himself until he returns. So if you're here and you've never been baptized, we want to encourage you to take that step of faith. We'd ask you to to maybe make a note on the little card you have there if you're interested or come talk to one of us afterwards. It's a way that we respond to this good news. And this Christmas, it is my deepest hope and my sincere prayer for every single person in this room is that you would truly be looking to Jesus Christ and His promises for all of your hope. For everything that you trust in, that you would be looking unto Him and Him alone. There are so many distractions in this world. There are so many false promises that we spend lifetime pursuing, but always end in a dead end. And the good news of Christmas is that God has extended the offer of a restored relationship that won't only change your life now, but forevermore. And we know because he's done it time and time again that God is faithful to his promises. And that's something we can rest assured of this Christmas.